This is Space Time, Series 23, Episode 33, for broadcast on the 15th of April, 2020. Coming up on Space Time, a gamma-ray burst being powered by a star's collapsing magnetic fields, the mysteries of the planet Uranus, and Boeing to conduct a second unmanned Starliner orbital test flight. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. New research suggests that gamma-ray bursts, the most powerful explosions in the universe since the Big Bang, may be caused by the collapse of a dying star's magnetic field. Gamma-ray bursts were first detected in the 1960s by American spy satellites monitoring Soviet Union compliance with nuclear test ban treaties during the height of the Cold War. Atomic bombs give off powerful bursts of gamma radiation during their detonation, which the satellites are designed to detect. And the US military were detecting literally hundreds of these blasts every year, not in the atmosphere, but out in deep space beyond the moon. Not only did this mean that the Soviets were cheating on the treaty, that wasn't surprising as the communists already had a long history of breaking agreements, but more critically, it meant that the Soviet Union must have hundreds, possibly thousands of spare nuclear weapons available for testing, far more than the West. It also meant that they had hundreds of rockets available to launch these bombs into deep space, and they could do so both far more reliably and more often than the Americans, and importantly, without the West being able to detect the launches. Now, if all this was true, it meant that Russian technology must be far, far ahead of anything in the free world. In fact, it meant the free world might never be able to catch up. If so, the Cold War was already over, and the communists had won. The implications were unthinkable. The whole thing was declared top secret, while the Pentagon decided its next course of action. Now, luckily, eventually, the military decided to allow astronomers to have a look at the data. And astronomers were quickly able to determine that these events were taking place literally billions of light years away, far beyond any human technology, and certainly far beyond the capabilities of the Soviets. The crisis was over. But the source of these extraordinary gamma-ray bursts would remain a mystery for decades to come. Astronomers now know that when really massive stars far bigger than the Sun exhaust their nuclear fuel supplies needed for core fusion, the process which makes stars shine, they collapse, triggering what's known as a supernova explosion. Now, usually what's left behind from one of these events is a small, super-dense stellar remnant called a neutron star, formed when the protons and electrons in the stellar core are crushed together, forming neutronium. However, if a star's massive enough, it could collapse beyond the neutron star stage instead forming one of the strangest and most mysterious objects in the universe, a black hole, a place of infinite density in zero volume, where the laws of physics as science understands them disappear. Now, during the process which forms the black hole, two enormous jets of energy-emitting plasma burst out from the core, and if one of these extremely bright jets is pointed towards the Earth, the afterglow can be detected by both ground and space-based telescopes, even at cosmological distances. The material doesn't simply catapult out of the exploding star. It accelerates to ultra-high superluminal speeds, that is, speeds almost as fast as the speed of light, along the narrow beam of the gamma-ray jet. And that leaves scientists puzzled over the sort of power source which is driving these incredible events. There have been many hypotheses to try and explain the mysteries of gamma-ray bursts. 
Many astronomers believe in the baryonic jet model, in which this phenomenon is caused by repeated violent collisions between material being blasted out during the explosion and material already surrounding the dying star, resulting in a gamma ray flash and the subsequent fading afterglow. However, another idea called the magnetic model suggests that a huge primordial magnetic field of the progenitor star collapses within seconds of the initial supernova explosion, in the process releasing vast amounts of energy to power the prodigious blast. Now, a report in the Astrophysical Journal claims astronomers have found the first evidence supporting this magnetic model. They were examining data from NASA's Swift Space Telescope of the collapse of a massive star in a gamma-ray burst catalogued as GRB 1901-14c in a galaxy some 4.5 billion light-years away. Gamma-ray bursts are detected by dedicated satellites orbiting the Earth. However, no one can predict where or when a gamma-ray burst will appear. So scientists rely on autonomous rapid-response robotic telescopes in order to catch the fast-fading light of the afterglow. Seconds after SWIFT identified the gamma-ray burst, robotic telescopes in the Canary Islands and South Africa received NASA's notification and quickly slewed towards that position of the sky and began gathering the data. The authors noticed a startlingly low level of polarisation in the gamma-ray burst in the moment straight after the star's collapse. That indicates that the star's magnetic field had been destroyed during the explosion. The study's lead author, Nuria Giordana Mitchens from the University of Bath, says previous studies meant the team expected to detect polarization as high as 30% during the first 100 seconds after the explosion. But instead, surprisingly, they measured just 7.7% in less than a minute after the burst, followed by a further dramatic drop to just 2% soon afterwards. This meant the magnetic fields had collapsed catastrophically straight after the explosion, releasing their energy and powering the bright light detected across the electromagnetic spectrum. This is space-time. Still to come, the mysteries of the planet Uranus, and Boeing to undertake a second unmanned Starliner orbital test flight. All that and more still to come on space-time. Okay, let's take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, ExpressVPN, rated number one by TechRadar. You may be wondering why you need a virtual private network. Well, it's in the name. It's all about privacy. Do you really want big brother tech companies, hackers, governments, and who knows who else snooping in on your online activities? Now, you might not have anything to hide, but it's still really creepy, and it could be dangerous for you and those you care about. Also, how often do you run across a website and you want to get information from it, but you find out that they're geo-blocked? It's all very frustrating, and it's becoming an increasing problem. And that's where ExpressVPN can help you. ExpressVPN's a simple and efficient way to protect your online privacy. It's internet without borders from the world's leading VPN provider. So, protect your online privacy today. And find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. And of course, you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space. And now, it's back to our show. You're listening to Space Time with Stuart Gary. A new study says the strange axis of rotation of the planet Uranus, together with the unusual properties of its moons and ring system, were most likely caused by an ancient collision with another planet up to three times the size of the Earth billions of years ago. The unusual attributes of the ice giant Uranus, 
have long puzzled scientists. You see, all of the planets in our solar system orbit around the Sun in the same direction, and on roughly the same plane, called the ecliptic. Astronomers believe this characteristic is a vestige of how our solar system formed in the first place, from a spinning disk of molecular gas and dust some 4.6 billion years ago. Most of the planets also revolve on their axis in the same direction, with their poles oriented perpendicular towards the ecliptic plane. The exception is Venus, which slowly spins backwards, with the Sun rising in the west and setting in the east, probably the result of some ancient planetary collision eons ago. Just as unique is the planet Uranus, whose spin axis is tilted to over 98 degrees. Now, by comparison, Earth's spin axis is tilted by just 23.5 degrees, so Uranus is pretty well spinning on its side. And just as the Earth's spin axis is always pointed towards the same background stars in the sky as the Earth orbits around the Sun, thereby giving us our ever-changing seasons, the spin axis of Uranus is also pointed to the same position in the sky as it orbits around the Sun. So, as Uranus spins on its axis and orbits around the Sun, it appears to be rolling around and wobbling from an Earth observer's perspective. Like all the outer planets, Uranus has a ring system and a large collection of moons, at least 27 at last count. They orbit the planet around its equator, so they too are tipped over on their side. Now, it's generally believed that Earth got its spin axis tilted in a giant collision 4.5 billion years ago, when a Mars-sized planet called Theia slammed into the early proto-Earth. That collision melted both planets into a magma ocean, which eventually solidified, forming today's Earth, and flinging some ejected debris into orbit, which eventually coalesced to form the Moon. These massive collisions would have been fairly common in the early solar system. In fact, they're an important part of the story of how planets form. And now, a report in the journal Nature Astronomy has explained how Uranus got its far more extreme spin axis tilt in the same way, through an even more spectacular collision with a giant planet up to three times the mass of the Earth, which tipped Uranus over on its side, leaving its idiosyncratic moon and ring system behind as a smoking gun. But the studies suggest that the ice-cold conditions under which Uranus formed, which is 19 times further away from the Sun than the Earth, means any collision of that orbital distance would have happened very differently to how the Earth-Moon system was formed. The study's lead author, Shigeru Ida from the Tokyo Institute of Technology, says the findings are based on computer simulations of Moon formation around icy planets. Since the Earth formed closer to the Sun, where the environment's warmer, it's mostly made up of non-volatile elements, which don't vaporize at normal Earth's surface pressures and temperatures. Now, in contrast, planets that form beyond what's known as the snow line, which runs through the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, are largely composed of more volatile materials, like water and ammonia. Now, while these would usually be liquids or gases under the sorts of temperatures and pressures you're likely to find on the surface of Earth, out beyond the snow line, these are frozen into solids, often forming bedrock. And because temperatures in the outer solar system are so low, impact debris from the collision with Uranus would mostly have vaporized away during the collision. Now, this may also have been true for the rocky material involved in the Earth-Moon forming impact, but in contrast, this rocky material has a very high condensation temperature, meaning it solidified quickly, and so the Earth's Moon was able to collect a significant amount of the debris created by the collision due to its own gravity. However, in the case of Uranus, a large icy impact that was able to tilt the planet, give it a rapid rotational period, Uranus's day is approximately 17 hours, even faster than that of the Earth, and the leftover material from the collision would have remained gaseous far longer. The largest mass body from this impact, what would later become Uranus, would then collect most of the leftovers, and thus Uranus's present moons would all be really small.
To be precise, the ratio of the mass of the planet Uranus compared to the masses of all of Uranus's moons is far greater than the ratio of Earth's mass to the mass of its moon, by a factor of more than 100. And the authors say their model accurately reproduces the current configuration we really do see in Uranus's satellites. This is space-time. Still to come, Boeing to conduct a second unmanned Starliner orbital test flight, and later in the science report, more than 50 potential COVID-19 vaccines now being tested around the world. All that and much more still to come on Space Time. Boeing will undertake a second unmanned orbital test flight of its new CST-100 Starliner spacecraft. The decision follows December's failed maiden journey, which suffered a series of problems with computer programs and communication systems, ultimately resulting in the mission's failure to reach the International Space Station. That flight, which launched aboard an Atlas V rocket from Space Launch Complex 41 at the Cape Canaveral Air Force Station in Florida, was supposed to set the stage for the commencement of regular crew transfer missions to the orbiting outpost as part of NASA's commercial crew program, allowing NASA to focus on Artemis deep space missions to the Moon and Mars using the Orion capsule and SLS rocket. However, software errors affecting the mission elapsed timer saw the spacecraft undertake an orbital insertion burn too early, placing it into the wrong orbit too low to reach the space station. And the problem was made even worse by communications issues. Then another software coding error was uncovered, which if it hadn't been detected and patched before the deorbit burn, would have caused the Starliner's service module to jettison and crash into the crew module instead of moving away from it, thereby destroying the spacecraft. Despite the string of issues, Starliner did successfully land two days later on the White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico. The Starliner's mission was meant to duplicate the successful SpaceX Crew Dragon 2 unmanned orbital test flight to the space station back in March 2019, which returned to the Earth splashing down in the North Atlantic Ocean six days later. NASA and Boeing are yet to set a date for the second test flight. Meanwhile, work's continuing at SpaceX for next month's first manned test flight aboard the Crew Dragon 2 capsule to the International Space Station using a Falcon 9 rocket. The historic flight will be the first manned mission to launch from American soil since the mothballing of the space shuttle fleet following STS-135 way, way back in 2011. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. There are currently over 50 potential COVID-19 vaccines in various stages of testing around the world. Now scientists at the University of Pittsburgh have announced a vaccine delivered through a fingertip-sized patch that's been found to produce antibodies specific to COVID-19 in quantities thought to be sufficient to neutralise the virus. A report in the Lancet Medical Journal claims the new vaccine candidate is based on previous research on two closely related virus types, SARS from 2003 and MERS from 2014. Scientists look for a specific protein called spike protein, which is important for inducing immunity against the virus. Compared to the experimental mRNA vaccine candidate that's just entered clinical trials, this new candidate vaccine called Pitcovac uses lab-made pieces of our protein to build immunity, which is the same way flu shots work. Scientists say there's no evidence that COVID-19 can be transmitted through eating food. The comments have come from the Food Safety Information Council, which has released consumer information about shopping for and handling of food in order to reduce the risk of spreading the virus. 
In fact, the council says people are far more likely to get food poisoning from eating food that's gone off or has been badly prepared and stored. Scientists in Germany have published new findings of their analysis of nine young and middle-aged adults with comparatively mild symptoms of COVID-19. A report in the journal Nature found an infectious form of the virus in the throat and lungs of patients for up to 11 days, which suggests that patients may be shedding or excreting the virus at high levels during the first week of symptoms. The virus was not detected in blood or urine samples, and the authors didn't find a replicating form of the virus in faecal samples either, which supports the theory the virus isn't passed on through faeces. Well, I guess it's a bit like waiting for a taxicab. You're a paleontologist waiting for ages for a decent pterosaur fossil, and then all of a sudden four new species come along at once. Hot on the heels of last week's discovery of fossils representing three new pterosaur species found in southeastern Morocco comes news of a fourth Moroccan pterosaur. But unlike the three earlier discoveries, which were all teethed fish eaters, a report in the journal Cretaceous Research says this new species had no teeth and belonged to a group called tapedurids, which were found in Brazil, Europe and China during the Cretaceous period, but never before in Africa. Tapedurids were small to medium-sized pterosaurs with wingspans of about 4 metres. And they had iconic skulls with large, broad crests. Bodily excretions are a valuable source of information for monitoring personal health, but clinical procedures for testing samples can be cumbersome, and most people only visit their doctor a few times a year. Now, a report in the journal Nature Biomedical Engineering claims scientists have developed a smart toilet with diagnostic devices designed to analyse the quantity and chemistry of urine and faecal samples. Although the technology is currently just a proof of concept, researchers hope to develop the system into a commercial product for home use. Earlier this year, the life of 64-year-old daredevil Mad Mike Hughes ended when his homemade steam-powered rocket crashed in the desert near Barstow, California, with Mike at the controls. The eccentric died as he lived, doing what he loves. Mad Mike became well-known for his flat-earther beliefs, and in fact the fatal final flight was part of his campaign to try and prove the world really is flat. But, as Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics explains, things aren't always as they seem. Mad Mike Hughes was basically a daredevil driver. He used to sort of do the things like jumping over buses, driving limousines, etc. That was his background. But then he suddenly decided he wanted to go rather than horizontally, he wanted to go up. And so he was developing steam-powered rockets, right. uh, homemade, homemade rockets. And he wasn't having a lot of success with them. That, uh, some of them just didn't take off. There was one that supposedly Absolutely. took off. Yeah. <laughs> well, that supposedly took off and crashed and he was badly hurt. It was never quite sure that he was actually in that one. But obviously just recently he had one that took off, it went up in the air and it came back down and unfortunately Mad Mike died. And Mad Mike was of course saying that he was using these uh, rocket flights to prove that the Earth was flat. Now the twist ending is that he lied. <laughs> His PR person... His PR person, who has been a long-standing friend of his, came out just after his death and pointed out that um, we used Flat Earth as a PR stunt. Flat Earth allowed us to get so much publicity that we kept going. I know he didn't believe in Flat Earth and there was a shtick, in other words, a gimmick. So in other words, all the Flat Earth stuff that Mad Mike was talking about was purely to get himself attention because just saying it, it worked, definitely. And obviously yeah, it did work. It's sort of very successful, <laughs> more successful than he was, unfortunately. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's sad. No, it's sad. Like, it's no. sad. I mean, I mean the, the world needs eccentrics. 
Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in that, at being one myself. So. <laughs> it, it's true. I mean, yeah, we, we need more mad mics. And whether he says flat earth or not, I'm not particularly outraged at that. It's, it's silly theory, etc. But yeah, looking at this thing later on, you realise oh, the poor guy was just after some, you know, some, some notoriety. Obviously, his limousine jumping days had, had passed him by, and he was trying to find something else. So any shtick, any gimmick that uh, he could stick with, and that was the flat earth. So everyone keeps talking about mad Mike, the flat earth believer, etc. And he wasn't. And that's the surprise twist ending. That's Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. And that's the show for now. Space Time is broadcast on Science Zone Radio by the National Science Foundation in Washington, D.C. and through both iHeartRadio and on TuneIn Radio. Or you can subscribe and download Space Time as a free podcast through Apple, Stitcher, Bytes.com, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Audioboom, Podbeam, Android, Castbox, from SpaceTimeWithStuartGary.com, or from your favorite download podcast provider. You can help support the show and the work we do by visiting the Spacetime online shop and grabbing yourself a few goodies, or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to commercial-free double-episode versions of the show, as well as bonus audio content and other rewards. Just go to our Patreon page through SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com for all the details. If you want more space time, check out our blog, where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as loads of images, news stories, videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word and in lowercase, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel, and on Facebook, just go to www.facebook.com slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 